Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jim. Today's episode 236, and we're going to be interviewing Kim. How are you doing, Kim? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. So you ready to do this? Sure. All right, let's dive in and get started here. Tell me about your childhood and growing up. Uh, my childhood. Um, I was raised as an only child um, mm-hmm. in uh, an alcoholic, abusive home. Um, so my mother, being in recovery, I've learned a lot about the dynamics of my life and watching my mother be the codependent and the rescuer and my dad being the alcoholic and being the wild one and me the little kid wondering what the heck was going on um but for me I was spoiled being an only child I got everything I wanted or needed or more um so um what were like some early memories of your, of your dad drinking? Uh, well, either he wasn't coming home or there was a police officer coming to the door oh. or me and mom were driving around to different pubs or whatever, looking for him to bail him out of somewhere. Um, so there was always, always commotion and chaos in my home. It was never a quiet moment. Um, and if it was quiet, it was probably because he was hungover. Yeah. Oh, this must have been tough on you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, like, I mean, being a little girl, you're like, it was just that was the way it was. I didn't know any different. Right. So even like going to school, you went to school, you didn't talk like it was like you were a different person. It was bizarre to me, like looking back at it now, being that little kid, going to school, pretending what was happening at home was normal, like, because it was normal, but it wasn't normal. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I mean, if you grow up in that environment, that's your normal to you. That's that's the way it is. Other people looking in, they they don't think that. No, and when you're growing (laughs) up, you don't, nobody talked shit. You don't bring your family stuff out of the home it was never none of that you know um like even you know looking back at how many times the police have been at my door or my mother had to be taken an ambulance you know it was um even the police back then it was like they came they did their call but nothing was ever done you know what I mean not like today today is a lot different so your dad was physically violent with your mom yeah very much, very much so. Yeah, lots of blood, lots of broken noses, maybe a broken arm here and there. Never touched me. Um, very grateful for that. But um, I I think witnessing that was enough. Oh, I was just about to say, just being in the yeah. presence of that must have been yeah. 
horrible it was like walking on eggshells as we have that saying right it sure yeah. is walking on eggshells you just didn't know what was going to happen that day yeah how was life when you went to school um in school I struggled um I wasn't a school like I wasn't smart like I don't think I was smart maybe I didn't apply myself but I couldn't I was more of a I like to do things than read things or um, so I couldn't grasp a lot. So I kind of got extra help, I guess, in school. Um, but um, I don't know. I felt um, I didn't really fit in to friends. I kind of uh, made myself fit in to places. Um, from kindergarten to grade eight, I don't really recall much. Um, oh, I can I could uh, empathize with some of those things. I kind of felt the same way for certain things like that, trying to fit in, not feeling right at home and anywhere. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, um, like even kids, they're cruel, right? They were cruel then. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> like I, I remember like grade three already acting out with boys. Like it was already was something grade three grade four you know you talk about kissing tag and all that stuff I was right in there like it was automatic um trying to get attention I guess even even in class I was a class clown I always wanted like the teacher's attention or look at me or not knowing that's what I was doing then but looking back I can say that that just totally was my attention seeking for sure yeah me too we yeah. got a lot in common. And I, I also feel like because I'd rather make other people laugh versus them laughing at me for some reason. Like yeah. even though they even though people didn't they laughed at me because I I tried to be funny, but I felt like that was the only way, I guess, to fit in was I had to have a purpose. So if I was the funny guy, people would be like, okay. You know? Yeah. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. And again, you know, that was from kindergarten to grade eight and I don't know I just uh you were told to do something and I kind of did the opposite I never followed rules ever oh yeah, yeah. yeah I'm one of those people don't tell me something because I'm going to do the opposite well it depends yeah. depending on what it is obviously I could make better decisions now later in life but right. for example is my sister one year I was like you know what I could I told him I'm like, I can walk endlessly. I'm like, I can walk 10 miles one shot. She's like, no, you can't. That was on Christmas Eve. So Christmas Day, I walked to my mother's house, which was nine miles away, just wow. because my sister said I couldn't do it. Oh, what a mistake. When I got to my mom's house, my feet were had blisters. I was I was dying, but I made it. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. No. Um, and I guess being an only child, I really learned to play by myself a lot. So I was very isolated. I had friends on my street and I had fun doing those things and riding your bike and roller skating and doing those kinds of things. But it wasn't until I think when I hit high school, like grade nine, that I went wild. Like it was freedom. Like my parents isolated me a lot from the world. And I think when I got to high school, it was like I seen things and did things that I couldn't believe what was out there. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
So I think, um, and at that point, my dad decided to quit drinking. Um, I was 14 when he quit drinking and he didn't do a program. He just stopped. Um, so, you know, I always, it's not a joke, but it's like, it was like he got sober and I picked up the booze and I picked up the dope. So I never was able to, I feel, I never was able to have a relationship with him because he was using. And then when he quit, I started, you know? Yeah. What kind of things would you, when you said wild things, give me an example of the kind of stuff you were doing. So, I mean, well, obviously skipping school, not back then there was no phones. There was no nothing. I had freedom of uh, riding the bus, like the transport like my parents isolated me so much that I didn't even know, like I took a school bus to elementary school and home. Right. And when I got to high school, I was doing transportation, city transportation. I got okay. amongst the world. I would hang out at the mall. Um, I'd have to be home at a certain time. And then of course, you know, you push that time further and further and further and then finally, there's times I didn't even go home, right? So that's kind of, or I would skip school and boys were always more important or I'd go in the smoking pit and smoke a pack of cigarettes in a period, like just stuff like that, you know, just, um, I remember my teacher coming in the bathroom and I'd be hiding on the top of the toilet so she wouldn't see my feet. You know, it, it's just insanity. Like, why? What was that for? Like, why would I do that? Just like, yeah, I don't want to go to class, go home. Like, but no, I was like, I was like a mall rat, like a hall rat. Like I would hang out in the halls or peek in people's classes and wave at people or like, it was like such attention at all times, you know? The things we do in high school for attention. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, You're bringing me back. I'm, get, I'm getting nostalgic now thinking about my yeah. high school days. It's crazy, you know, um, yeah. not showing I, up or whatever. I, I don't know if this is the same for you, but I felt I didn't get the right attention at home. And that's why I probably acted out. Yeah. Big time. And even, and I, and I look at it today and like, I talked about my mother being the codependent and trying to keep everything together she did the same patterns with me as she did with my dad, right? That codependency and rescued me and wouldn't dare ruffle feathers, right? Because I was her only child, right? Yeah. So it was all that too, you know? So what'd you do once you graduated high school? Or actually, well, real I didn't quick, graduate. Let, let me ask you this. Sure. When was the first time you ever tried drugs or alcohol? Um, I was probably in grade nine grade nine um and it was uh weed for sure it was always weed um i mean at christmas you know your parents give you a little shot you know whatever but i don't know it wasn't wasn't like you know how somebody some people say they have that shot and they knew then that that was like oh that wasn't for <laughs> me it didn't do that for me i just um I think um, when it got out of control for me, I actually was like, so I partied and I did all the LSD. I've done drinking. I've done pot. I, all those things I've done. Um, 
I never did graduate high school um, because I didn't, because my credits, I skipped a lot. I never went to class. So, um, but I did get my hairdressing license through high school because I, that was the reason I went to this high school because I wanted to be a hairdresser. So that was my only goal was to get my hairdressing license. And I got that. So once I got that, I didn't feel I needed to follow through with getting the credits to graduate because there was no, I never had, I had that tunnel vision. I never, I got hair. I don't need anything else. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it wasn't taught to me about education and, and all those things to me. Um, so I think um, it was, you know, you go to the bars, you know, you're being a kid or whatever, but um, it was, I got pregnant when I was 19 and I had my child, my daughter when I was 20. And I think she was almost a year old and I found my drug of choice. So I was about 20 years old, 21. So 21 when I found my drug of choice and that was crack cocaine. And uh, that uh, destroyed me big time destroyed me I mean um as we both know how it goes when you're using you go to any lengths to get what you need right and yeah. um I sure did do that um my parents ended up taking my daughter because I couldn't I couldn't couldn't look after her. I was homeless um you know I couldn't mm. even feed myself you know I sold myself for drugs um you know I did what I had to do um, and I think, um, I never, you know, and I talk about this today, I never thought that there was any hope. Like I never knew there was a program, like even of all the abuse my dad went through with alcoholism, I didn't even know there was AA. I didn't even know there was a 12 step. There was nothing. And I remember my mom taking me to, um, actually it was a treatment oh. facility and they were doing a, a meeting. And it was, a, um, I think it was an AA meeting or something she took me to. And she just said, like, I want you to listen. Because it was my mother that found it. So she must have known throughout the years that that was an option. I don't know. I never did ask her that. But, um, and I remember she goes, just listen to what they have to say. You can tell them what you, you know, if they ask you to talk, then you can, whatever. So they were going around the room and they were introducing themselves. Um, I think maybe it was an NA because I said I was an addict because I'll never forget that. I said, I'm Kim and I'm an addict because people were introducing themselves. And before the meeting, they're like, if you introduce yourselves before you speak. So it was my turn. And when I said my name and that I was an addict, it was like I knew in my gut that I found something. I don't know. I can't explain. It was like some kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm going to be okay right now. You know, I mean, I never stopped using at that point, but I'm just saying, I knew by saying I was an addict, that was like the light bulb. It was like, wow, I'm an addict. That is what's wrong with me. And then listening to what everybody else had to say. Right. Um, so that was my first experience at a 12 step meeting. And I ended up going to that treatment facility. Um, and that was in 1994, I went there. Um, and it was a women's AA-based program. 
Um, I was there for 30 days. Um, and it, it was a good program. My parents, again, still had my daughter, so they would bring her to come see me. Um, I, uh, you know, that was a long time ago. So I forget a lot of things that I learned or whatever about the program. I just know that I was in lockdown for 30 days and I got fed and I slept and I did program. Um, I learned a little bit about meditation, um, stuff like that. Um, I went to How stuff. did you like the meditation part? Um, actually, my first ever experience kind of freaked me out, actually. Um, and it wasn't that I experienced it, but a woman that was doing that, one of the girls in our group that was doing meditation, and it was a guided, she kind of... Um, I guess must have got scared or something on her journey within the mind. And um, that freaked me out. So it kind of put that stunt on me at that point around exploring further into meditation because it scared me actually what she experienced is she shared it. Right. And it was like, wow, that's pretty powerful. I mean, you're only a couple of weeks clean and here's this girl, like, I don't know what her experience was but it scared me so I never um took me a long time to integrate meditation again in my life right um what else um so one of the things I did do that they suggest not to do was move in with somebody that you're in treatment with and I did do that me and another girl got an apartment and it wasn't long after we were both using together in no time and chaos and you know how it goes with the drug use um and again it was always you know called up mom and dad they came picked me up bailed me out took me in and um it wasn't long after that that uh, I went to another treatment facility um at this point it was um a six-week one um and it was all women and it was based around more inner child work, which was a really, really, for me, a cool program. It was the most, like, I, it was like I was rebirthed again, learning about myself by doing this inner child work. It was pretty interesting. I mean, there's the basis of um, recovery in, in the program, but it was based on inner child and nurturing that little girl within and, and, and giving myself what I wasn't able to get as a child. It was pretty cool. Um, and again, you go to meetings. Um, so I had, I've accumulated some clean time throughout my recovery. I'd get a year and then I would stop going. I would get, you know, stuff like that. Um, and then it was, uh, again, I find a boy, I find a man, I've got my daughter back, I'm living with my parents, I get a job, I'm working, I'm making money. And I met, um, he's my ex-husband now, but I met a husband. <clears throat> and um, we, uh, we started dating. And, and What's really um, sad that I look back today is that our first date, I allowed myself a drink. I had almost two years of sobriety and clean time. And I was doing meetings, 12-step meetings, a lot. 
that was my life. And then I get this job, I get my daughter and I get a boy. And the first thing I do on my first date with him was I gave myself permission to have a drink. Right. Why do you think that is? Um, Cause I believed alcohol wasn't my problem, even though my recovery is NA, NA and alcohol is a drug period. Whatever in my brain told me never, ever mm -hmm. registered that alcohol was a drug because alcohol wasn't my problem. So I gave myself permission to say, fuck it and have a drink. And um, I disappeared. So I ended up marrying this guy. We ended up buying a house, having a family. I had a son with him. So now I've got two kids, married, house, picket fence, and um I didn't do any recovery for eight years, eight years. And um, my life fell apart. It fell apart. You know, uh, my marriage fell apart. I lost my job, both kids. Um, and then I had to go to treatment again. And um, at this point, um, he supported me the best he could as my husband, I guess. And uh, he didn't know anything about it. Um, so I did do treatment because work sent me, I had no choice, right. Um, at this point. And, um, so again, because I've been in recovery, I, I've met, I know people. So when I would come back to recovery and do meetings, people were still there and welcomed me. So it was an automatic, I was home. I knew I needed to be there. And I knew that that way of life was the way of life I wanted. And um, my marriage ended up failing, like it didn't work because he continued to drink, um, didn't believe he had a problem, which I believe he did, but it's not for me to say. Um, and I chose to leave that marriage because of my recovery. My, my recovery was important. And I had two years um, clean and um, I was living in an apartment with my two children. And um, so throughout my marriage, it was more um, alcohol based. So I became a full blown alcoholic. I mingled a little bit with a little bit of powder or whatever, but it was more the booze at that time, the eight years. And um, I say this story because in recovery, they tell us to never say never. And um it's, you know, at one point I came into recovery as a crack cocaine addict to become a full-blown alcoholic, to not touch cocaine or anything for 10 years. And it was 10 years later at two years clean, I picked up a bottle and chose to pick up crack after 10 years. And I was back at where I was 10 years before without both kids now. I've lost both kids and um, I was a, just a full-blown using addict again. And the chaos of that world, as we know, um, didn't stop for a long time. And because my kids weren't with me, it also gave me more permission in my disease to continue to use more. And I didn't care. I didn't care. And, um, and because I had a job at a point um, I had um, quit my job because I wanted the profit sharing that I had put away for 
And I used all that money in short of a month. And I mean, it was a lot of money and I used it within the month. And of course, back to, you know, homelessness, no food, nowhere to live, selling my soul for dope, whatever. And, um, you know, so that went on for about three years. You said um, at a certain point you were homeless. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Just surfing, just surfing. I wasn't on the street, but I was okay. surfing, out surfing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, I could find, and I don't know if it's easier because I'm a woman, I was able to get into places or whatever, but I never, ever had to sleep outside. Thank God. Thank God. But I'll tell you, I know if I continued, I would have, I know I would have, because people were tired of me, tired of me. Yeah. Cause I'm not a very nice person. We're not nice people when we're using, you know, I wasn't a nice person. No, I mean, to, depends on to who, but yeah, I definitely wasn't. I could have been nicer to certain people. Right. Yeah, of course, to get what I wanted. Yeah. But if I had to be a bitch, watch out. I was a bitch, right? Yeah. yeah. It's quite the heckle and jide situation for sure. You know? Um, so um, I guess uh, at this point, I ended up calling my dad. Um, and again, my dad still was still sober and, um, I just reached out to him. My parents had split up at this point and, uh, I called him and he says, why don't you just come here and sleep? I won't ask you any questions or whatever. And, um, I did do that and I ended up staying with him for a while. And, um, again, I'd get a couple of days clean and then go back, you know, using, get clean, use. And, and it got to the point that, um, I was tired. I was really, really tired. And, um, I remember I had, I promised my kids because promises were always broken. And, um, I was taking them to an amusement park and I used all the money I had, so I couldn't take them. And I was so pissed off with myself that I reached out to somebody in recovery and I said, I need help. And um, she says, well, I can take you to detox. So she got me into detox. Thank God. Um, Cause usually like today it's hard to get into detox. So I went to detox and um, it was a detox pre-treatment. So you were able to stay there to stay clean before you go into treatment. So it was like a three tier house. So you detoxed, it was a pre-treatment and it was also a treatment facility. But because I was on a waiting list uh, for another treatment facility, I stayed there for five weeks. And um, I remember my dad dropping me off and I just looked at him and I said, do not allow me out. Do not come and get me. Do not let me manipulate you people to come pick me up. I said, all I want is smokes and a phone card. That's all I need. And I'm very grateful that I promised myself that. And, um, you know, I called this treatment facility three times a day because a waiting list was insane. And I knew that I needed, this was a long-term treatment facility. Um, this would be my fifth treatment center. So I knew that, I was at my wit's end and this one was a six month long-term facility. And um, so I waited and waited. Anyway, I was there for five weeks and um, 
from detox, I went to the treatment center and um, it was more based on behavioral, cognitive behavioral and um, how to live life, right? It was more community living than actual therapists or anything, which was really cool. Um, and a lot of people went there from um, that were on parole or that did a lot of time. So it was um, a mingle of people. I lived in an all women's facility, but we broke out two days a week and joined the men's facility. Um, so we had two days with the men and um, I learned a lot about myself in that recovery program, a lot. Um, what kind of stuff did you learn about yourself? Well, I think I learned that. Um, so being a woman and trying to manipulate men and um, trying to get my way with men. Um, I remember, um, so I would go over there and um, we would get all dolled up and ready. And, you know, um, so they were watching my behavior because like I would go over there and act out with the men, right? Like not sexually or anything, but, you know, be flirty and hee 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 and whatever, right? Yeah. And um, I remember one of the, the they, they challenged me and they made me go into the clothing closet and the girls would pick out the ugliest outfit that they could for me. I had to wear that outfit. I wasn't allowed to wear makeup and I was, um, and I just had to be myself. That was the hardest thing I've ever had to do because it's always do your hair, put on makeup, you have nice clothes on, you represent well, and that's how you're going to put your masks on. So I had to learn to be vulnerable and raw and real that I didn't have to pretend I was something I wasn't. And that was hard for me because I couldn't put the mask on. It was here I am. This is who I am, right? Um and I remember one of the facilitators taking me aside and he yelled at me like it was a male facilitator and he was like right in my face. And he says, Kim, you don't realize where these men have come from. And even the women, too. Like, I mean, we all are walks of life. But for me, it was a really huge eye opener of not everybody's a nice person. Like in that facility I was in, there was, you know, people in there that done some hard time. And um, I had no, um, what's, what's like no alarm. Like I, I trusted everybody and anybody, you know, and um, it, it's good, but then it's not good. I had no ticker on that boundary, you know, um, I learned about the masks, I think were big for me. Mass um, disassociation was huge. I learned a lot about the masks that I carry when I'm a mom, when I'm a friend, when I'm a hairdresser, when I'm a daughter, or when I worked in a factory, like I did all these. Um, so I did drawings of myself as these people. And then on one side, I wrote down what I feel when I'm when that when I'm in that person's body like when I'm working in a factory compared to when I'm a mother I'm two different people so how can I be these people and put them all together as me as myself and I, and I had to learn about bringing those characters and how I was because that's how I was all my life 
I'd hang out with this group and I would be whatever you wanted me to be, or I'll go in this group and be whatever you wanted me to be. And I could never, ever know who was I, who could I be? So I did a lot of work on that in treatment too, which was really cool. Um, yeah, faced similar situations. It's a scary thing you have to, it's scary to do. It is. Yeah. Oh yeah. Cause you don't know. I didn't know who I was. I was who you wanted me to be, right? So learning about myself, it was really cool to do that. And to be able to uh, be removed from society, like I couldn't even talk to family or anything for like two weeks on the phone. Like it was very, very strict. Um, the first three months I wasn't even allowed out. Um, so I was, my first outing was like a six hour outing. And it had to be somebody that um, graduated from the program. So you're kind of not alone. Um, you get to choose what you want to do in those six hours, but it's with somebody from the facility. And this is all by choice. Like I chose to do that because I knew that this was my last haul at recovery. Like there was no hope. And I mean, and throughout all these times of in and out and using, I ended up a lot of times in the hospital, the psych ward, wanting to kill myself. Like it was just nuts and chaos and, and being diagnosed with depression. And then they wanted to diagnose me bipolar. And then they'd give me meds for those things. And, and I'm none of those things, you know what I mean? But it was like, they just didn't know what to do with me, you know? Um, and they wanted to do shock treatments on me. <clears throat> And really? my mother said, like hell, you're doing shock treatments. She has an addiction problem. And if we can get her withdrawn, then so anyway, I'm very grateful. My mom was my, she helped me a lot through that. And I'm glad I never did the shock treatment, but I also know it does work for people, you know, but I'm glad I didn't have to do it. Yeah. I think that's like an absolute last resort. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And my mother wasn't willing to make that the last resort for me. Like, um, and I'm grateful because like I have no diagnoses today. It was all induced by drugs and booze. And my internal war, right, mentally and emotionally, for sure, for sure. Um, so yeah, so I did that program of their six months. And um, when I left, um, I stayed in the little place where I went to treatment in the city that I went to treatment in. I chose to stay here. Um, at this point, my ex-husband has both children. The children did come see me. My daughter, not so much because she was the oldest and she's seen a lot. So she was very angry with me um, when um she didn't want to come see me where my son was still three and four, five years old at this point, I think maybe five. And uh, he would come, you know, for the afternoon on a Sunday and play or whatever and come see me. But, um, but that all changed as I've been clean, of course. Um, and so I, I've known 12 steps as my recovery. I go to NA. Um, I've gone to some AA but NA is my base of recovery. Um, I'm open to whatever. Um, so I think um, I was a couple years clean and um, my daughter was, she turned 16 and she wanted to come live with me. Um, so at this point, um, when I left treatment, 
I mean, I left and I had nothing. Like I went on welfare. I had to go to the food bank. Um, I rented a room. Um, it was very, I walked to meetings. Eventually, you know, you get to meet people, so you get a ride. Um, so very basic. And I did two meetings a day for probably a year. So we were fortunate. We had meetings in the morning and we had meetings at night. And I would do both. I mean, I used all day. I can go to recovery, do recovery all day, you know? Yeah. So that's what I did. Um, good way of looking at it. It is, man. It was. And so what I did too was throughout all the years of in and out of recovery, I never did any 12 step work um, with a sponsor or anything. And I think um, because I knew this was my last shot i i got a sponsor that knew me actually she knew me for years and years and watched me in and out and in and out and in and out of recovery i chose her because i just felt safe with her and um so i would go to a morning meeting after the morning meeting some of us would go for breakfast or a coffee and i mean i wouldn't even have money for coffee people would buy me a coffee you know because they didn't even have that and um I would go home and because early recovery was so exhausting for me, I was tired. I was exhausted and um, I was a napper. That's how I escaped was sleeping is how I escape. And um, I learned that in treatment as well about myself. Um, so I said to myself, if you want to have a nap, you have to answer three <clears throat> questions. So for me to give myself permission to have a half hour or an hour nap, I had to answer three questions out of my, my workbook too, so that I would allow myself to sleep. And I did that. And then I get up, I'd make dinner or something to eat. And then I'd go to the nighttime meeting. And that was my every day for a long time in early recovery. Um, until I was able to, I went back to work. I mean, I've done other things. Like I worked at like the coffee shop I worked in factories and then I got the confidence and the self-esteem back enough to get back into hairdressing and that was scary for me because I loved it but also I was so um scared I guess to jump back into that industry um but anyway I ended up you know, getting back into hair and, and being responsible to show up to work and not be sick or follow through because I, I was always a person that I'm sitting here with you right now, but I'm already thinking about what's happening over there. You know what I mean? I could yeah. never be in the moment. It was always like, I'd be at work going, oh, I'm going over here. I got to do that. Like, I could never calm myself down enough to just be in the moment. And um, that was work. I was exhausted just even being at work and working. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, uh, um, and I went to a meeting every day, like, because I was working now. I couldn't do two meetings a day. So I would go to a meeting every night. Um, so um, I don't know. I just, um, recovery is my life today. I'm very grateful. Um, last night, I just celebrated at my home group 17 years. Wow, that's yeah. a long time. Good it for is, you. Man. And, and when I heard them announce like a month ago, they announced your birthday. 
I got like a little bit anxious. It was the first time in a long time that it was like, holy shit, 17 years. And I've been struggling to get clean since 1993. And for me to have 17 years clean and sober and how my life has changed because of the work I've done on myself. Like I, you know, I mean, I've done 12 steps, but I'm also very open to reading new material on self-help and, and different forms of, cause my addiction can be sexual. It could be shopping. It could be eating my eating disorder. Um, I could um, still like not pay that bill because I want that, you know, not that I need it, but I want it. Like, so those are some of the behaviors I practice today. Um, I still like February in Canada is freezing. So for me, I'm more of a seasonal sad person. Um, so I'm usually, I have to fight to get off the couch and make my day active. Cause like I could hide in that couch and just get depressed and eat my face off. That's another form of my disease, you know, that can, and take me down, um, but we talked about meditation and I'm thinking this last year in my recovery, I practice meditation daily. And I'm very grateful that I, I give myself permission to do that. Um, I mean, it, it's hard to do, but I, I get frustrated and then it's like, no, I don't need to let your head wander, bring it back, but I enjoy it. It helps me keep centered for sure. Um, yeah meditation was a lifesaver for me yeah i love it i, I think bill w i think he mentions it 10 times in the big book yeah yeah actually i'm um my sponsor today is um she does both programs so right now i'm actually doing the big book um and we're doing questions through i just finished reading um the doctor's story yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm trying to like I open up my mind to other um, forms of recovery for myself. I don't think there's a one way all fit all. Um, two years ago, I went back to school to become a recovery coach. So I'm a recovery coach today. Um, I um, I help people in addiction, um, and I either go live with them to get them clean and sober. Um, and so I only do hair on the side. I don't do it as a full-time job anymore. So by doing that, I did my course as an interventionist as well through, um, my recovery coaching. So I do interventions as well. And I friggin' love it. I love what I do. I love to be there for people, um, because it's been given to me, you know, um, so that's been my life the last couple of years anyway, is helping other people in recovery, like yourself doing meetings and your podcast. And I think that's so cool. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And I learned a lot about myself working with other people because it brings up my traumas and my own stuff. Um, so I'm able to do work around that as well. Like, um, I hate confrontation. Sometimes I feel I can't be assertive or sometimes um, I still think that I have nothing to offer. So those are all my disease and how um, it manifests and uh, fear, right? The whole fear thing of um, 
always scared to make the move or whatever it may be, right? So it's kind of um, a continuing thing. Um, I, uh, in part of my recovery, I had to have a spinal surgery in uh, 20, 2012, I had spinal surgery. And so I had to quit smoking in 2011. So I just, I share a part of this story because um, smoking was just as hard for me to quit as drugs. But I knew if I needed to subside the pain that I was feeling from my spine, I had to quit drinking for them to do, or quit smoking to do the spinal surgery. And um, I'm very grateful that I haven't had a smoke since. But through that period, um, being in a neck brace for six months or whatever it was, I put on a lot of weight um, from quitting smoking and so forth. And um, in the last couple of years, I've lost about 120 pounds as well and looking after myself and um, becoming my own person and being happy with myself, you know, has uh, been... Um, a part of the journey too, because I struggle as a woman or as a man, whatever with my eating disorder, right? Because I believe my first addiction was food as a child, because there was so much commotion in my home with my parents. Um, and because I got everything I wanted, I, I always joke that I had a cupboard, a closet, my parents had a cupboard and it was all like junk food. And then um, the top shelf was all the booze bottles. And I said, like, how my disease started with food. And as I grew up, I eventually reached that top shelf and became the alcoholic and used yeah. a, another substance, right? So, um, and those are the things I've learned through recovery. Like, you know, um, but I also know today I don't, I don't take myself for granted. I do not take it for granted, man. I'm very grateful for recovery and I practice it daily with a higher power. I pray and meditate and I do what I need to do. And I still go to maybe three meetings a week. I think it's important for me to stay well. You know? Yes, it's definitely something you need to stand on top of and work at daily. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a continuing thing. Like I said, I can still fall into that couch. I can still go shopping and spend money that I can't afford to spend on shit. I can go eat five chocolate bars and no, oh, that's okay. I'll get another five later. Like, you know, those are the behaviors for me that like I still reach outside of myself to change the way I feel. Right. And um, so that's a continual thing for me and my recovery and I talk about it freely about it I don't because again I have to be okay to talk about it because secrets keep us sick man yeah right? it's so true all those cliche things is so true you know but, you've yeah. had quite the journey it sounds like yeah totally and and I and I and I love my life today um both my kids, um, my daughter uh, went through a period of drug use. She came to recovery for a period of time. She ended up going to treatment. Um, she no longer does recovery, but she doesn't use or anything. She has two kids of her own today. Um, 
which for me as a parent, my daughter came to live with me, but my son didn't. Um, their dad at that point when my daughter came more or less threatened him and said, if you go live with your mom, I will no longer like, I'll disown you is kind of what he put to him. So he never did live with me, which I was okay with. He was a boy. He, he had a life with his dad. He played hockey, blah, blah, blah. But I think um, it's amazing. My daughter being raised with me and my son being raised by their they're totally different kids um, and how I've had to learn to um, set boundaries, not be manipulated, um, saying no to them um, because of my own guilt and shame of my, what I did. It, it's been hard for me to say no to them. Right. Um, especially my daughter, like, especially because she had the kids, she always used the kids on me. Oh, I need a ride here. or I need food. And I would jump and jump and jump and do those things. And throughout the three years when COVID hit, I was able to learn boundaries and say, no, I'm not doing that. No, I do not have that. You're going to have to try and figure that out. That, that's probably one of the biggest growths I think for myself as well in recovery is setting those boundaries um, my son, um, he's 24 and he just moved out to his own place. He left his dad's and lives with his girlfriend, but you know what? He mingles, he mingles around. He's had his situations with stuff too. And I just need to be available when they're ready. I I'd love to say no, you know, and I tell them you can be your mother this is the disease of addiction and it'll grab you when you least expect it. And um, so they both know, like even last night at my medallion, my son whispered to me, he's 24. He goes, mom, maybe one day I'll get that white key tag. And I said, when you're ready, son, it's there, you know, and that's all I can do. I can't, you know, I can't make them do it. Right. Um, I just have to be an example a healthier example than what I was 17 years ago when I wasn't the example. Right. Yeah. So those are, uh, yeah. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and telling your story. How do you feel? Thanks. Yeah. Pretty good. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Hopefully it, uh, it helps, you know, it'll help someone. You did a great job telling your story. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So did you have anything else that you wanted to throw in? No, I don't think so, actually. No, I think that's it. I just, um, I'm grateful for my clean time and my recovery and my higher power and um, people like you that are out there trying to spread awareness um, that it's possible to, um, to get recovery and stay well from, from booze and drugs. Yeah, absolutely. It does get better. Yeah, sure does. All right. Do me a favor. Sit tight there. And for everyone that's watching and listening, if you like what you saw and heard, go below and give us a like. Also subscribe to see when we upload new videos. You can check us out on all social media like Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, Instagram, TikTok. You can also check out our website, which is www.addicts-anonymous.com. There's plenty of free resources and free literature. 
And hopefully we have a book. Well, we definitely have a book coming out, but hopefully it will be out by the end of next month, end of March. It's called Addicts Anonymous, Our Stories. It's a collection of essays I've written as well as people's stories that submitted them for the book. So look out for that. That's all we have for today. I hope you enjoyed it. And until next time.